Jared, I'll do it. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. We are at the Super Bowl. The Here's the Catch podcast has another milestone under its belt. Well, Matt Barrows and I are here. Dennis will join us in a couple days, but he is still on the podcast, connected all the way back in San Francisco. So, Dennis, how's it going? Is it? I hear it's raining back home. Yeah, it's been raining pretty hard all morning here in San Francisco. It's nice and foggy and overcast. And then I flip on the news uh, and I see the Super Bowl experience. I see guys walking around with no shirts on and sandals and shorts. So I'm eager to get out there and get this Super Bowl week started. David and I are doing this podcast bare-chested right now. We've got uh, sandals on. Uh, Tanning. That, that's about it, though. Oh, that's, that's 75 degrees and, and sunny, uh, Dennis. It's, it's <laughs> lovely out here. I can't wait. I'm sure it's getting hyped up. I've been watching all the coverage, listening on the radio, and it sounds like it's going to be an epic week for me uh, and the team and hopefully an epic game. Yeah, I think today is, what, Tuesday? And we're just starting to see the uh, radio row here start to fill out. But uh, I think Wednesday and then especially Thursday and Friday is when it gets very crazy. And that's when a lot of uh, big-name guys are going to come through. Frank Gore, I'm sure, is going to be here. Navarro Bowman, maybe some others. So uh, it's going to be a star-studded affair in a couple of days, including Dennis Brown. Yeah, you know, I'm excited. I've never experienced radio row during a Super Bowl week, but just from looking at the coverage and seeing like the media day, the press day, it looks incredible. The whole event is massive, and, and Miami is a massive city geographically. Everything's really spread out, so really this whole thing takes over a large area of land. We are staying by the airport. The convention center is on Miami Beach, which is its own little, almost, it's, I don't know if it's an island, but it's separated from downtown Miami where the 49ers are staying, and all these places take at least 15 minutes to get in between each one of them. So it's one of those things where you picture maybe L.A., except more bridges and you know waterways and taller buildings everywhere, and that's what the Super Bowl has taken over. So it's a cool setting for the Super Bowl, even if it is a little inconvenient, but I think people are a lot happier that it's here. Uh, than rather, you know, Houston or, or Indianapolis or where Minnesota, I think, was yeah. one of the cold-weather Super Bowls a couple of years ago. New Orleans was cool because in New Orleans, everything is centrally walk, lo- yeah. located. You can walk everywhere. Here, you've, you've got to drive, and, and that, that's what I think is going to get really worse uh, as the week goes on. This, this place, as you can imagine, with all the bridges and, and things that you have to get around, is going to get pretty gridlocked. But, uh, you know, as long as you're where you need to go... It's a pretty sweet place to be right now. Yeah, I'm trying to knock out all the interviews and see all the people I need to see for the interviews, in the in-person ones early in the week, and then I could just sit in the room and write while everybody's stuck in traffic on Thursday. Yeah, yeah. Coming from the airport. Dennis, you'll be stuck in traffic coming from the airport, but uh, just brace for it and you'll be ready. Yeah, I mean, we were there in, in, in 95, and uh, I remember the city, like you said, it was very spread out, uh, and it, it got a little hectic, but... You know, it's it's one of those times. It's a, it's it's a special experience, and I just hope you know these guys are taking it all in, focusing at practice, but at the same time, you know, taking in the whole experience. Miami's a great town. It's a great place to have a Super Bowl. The folks are great. The scenery's great, and and the weather's fantastic. Well, we saw a couple of the offensive linemen wearing uh, very Miami esque uh, fedoras yesterday, like in Tomlinson, Mike Person. So it seems like uh, some of them are getting into the the local color. 
I asked Kyle Shanahan today at the press conference whether they'd been to the University of Miami yet, and the answer is yes. They had their first walkthrough yesterday. Uh, they'll have their first big practice tomorrow at Miami. So practice Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and then on, on Saturday they, they actually get to go to Hard Rock Stadium and kind of walk around the field, get the feeling for what the grass is like, the field is like, what the locker rooms are like. So they're acclimating themselves. And as we talked about last week, they really got the the bulk of their work done last week so that they can just kind of sharpen things, I think, during practices this week. Yeah, it's, it's a big week, and it's really, I think, well done the way that they ramp it up toward the game, I think. The NFL does a good job, even though it could be annoying for media at sometimes, like at opening night last night, that the fight with so many people that you know aren't really sports journalists. But the NFL does a good job making the game feel huge, and then you incrementally ramp up day by day. You know, first the team sees its practice facility. Today they get the day off because it's Tuesday, but then they start to see the actual grass in the stadium, as you said. And by the time that Sunday comes, we're going to be ready to run through a wall or maybe two or maybe three walls because of all this buildup. I thought that they handled the, the media night well. I mean, it's hard to give them a grade on it, but they all seem very loose. I mean, uh, some of them were very funny. Uh, George Kittle, you expect, uh, but, but Nick Bosa even uh, was, was in his element throughout the whole thing. There was a a reporter from China who asked him to do a a PSA about the coronavirus. And Nick Bosa didn't, I mean, it's like the weirdest thing. And, And he didn't skip a beat. He said, sure, I'll do it and read off the PSA about washing your hands and being very conscious of the uh, of the virus. So, I mean, those were the, that kind of tells you the scope of the questions that these guys got. There were a lot of, if you were a sandwich, which sandwich would you be? Followed by, you know, how do you stop Patrick Mahomes type of questions. And to their credit, n- none of these guys were kind of thrown off their game. So I think that they were very well prepared for just the, uh, the craziness and the range, the gamut of questions that they got. And, you know, I'm still kind of sifting through last night, but it didn't seem like anything was controversial or out there. I mean, the biggest thing was what David had already written about Richard Sherman and Richard Sherman's very uh, storied relationship, it's a bad story, with uh, Jim Harbaugh. And that seemed to be sort of the biggest news that came from it, even though David had already had that in the story that published uh, before Media Day even began. Yeah, that was uh, interesting. What Richard Sherman said is that He wanted to force Jim Harbaugh out of the NFL, which he's already said before, but what he added was something that Jed York told him, and it was that the 49ers, they had Sherman on their draft board, but Jim Harbaugh had at least some type of veto power in that room, especially in year one. This was in 2011, and he ripped his name off of the draft board. Now, at the opening night, media day in front of everybody, Sherman relayed that story again, and those were the only details. When I spoke with him a few days before, the detail was that he was on the third round of the draft yeah. for the 49ers. And remember, he was picked in the fifth round by the, by, Seahawks. C- yeah, by the Seahawks. And the projection for him in 2011 was anywhere between rounds two and seven. So assuming that Trent Baalke or you know whoever else in the 49ers building would have gotten their way, Richard Sherman might have been a 49er much sooner than the Seahawks picked him in the fifth round. And uh, that's the story that's really come out over the past few days. Uh, D- Dennis, what do, you, what do you think about that? What do you think uh, would have happened if Richard Sherman had been a 49er since day one? Well, you know, first of all, I mean, if you're just a, a an average, not really a sports fan, and you don't follow sports, and you hear a guy like Richard Sherman talk with all the success he's had in the NFL, 
you kind of wonder, you know, why does he seem like he always has a chip on his shoulder? And if you go deeper into his backstory and stories like this, it makes sense why he has to pro proclaim kind of his greatness all the time because everyone's kind of doubted him. Um, you know, he, you got a head coach here who has an opportunity to take a kid that he coached in college uh, and he takes him off the board. And then you look at his background, his childhood, where he grew up at, his family environment, things like that. He went to Stanford. He's a smart guy. So, you know, it, it makes sense, you know, when he plays and he talks, he's always proclaiming his greatness. And he's he's reached it, I think, because of some of the adversities in his life. So it's kind of cool. And it would have been great to have Richard Sherman because we see what he's done for this secondary since he's been here. I mean, he's become the leader one of the big leaders on that defense. And, and I think he's helping these guys not only become professionals, but become men after football. I think, I think he adds so much to that secondary on and off the field. So I would have loved to have him way back in whatever that was, 2010, 2011, when he came out of college. So, I mean, you know, it, it, you know the, the ceiling's so high with him and, and he brings so much to the table. I want to ask you guys about, I was watching the coverage on the news, and what you guys think about the guys coming out in all-white uh, sweats? I thought it looked kind of cool. Well, we thought that you were uh, totally against all-white <laughs> looks, all-white uniforms Your tone has shifted like over the course of this season. Yeah, which is it, well, well, you, 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 you keep flip-flopping on this. It's, it's uniforms. The uniforms. Oh, uniforms. I don't care for. Okay. I enjoy a white set outfit i enjoy that with the white shoes and the white hat it looks very yeah well, well, why don't you care for the you you want a super bowl <laughs> in those throwbacks i know not in those that you guys wore the red jerseys but that season you guys played in the all whites and you only lost once and that was when you're arresting your starters i still don't understand why you don't like these uniforms dennis well well we talked about it the last podcast my last season with the with, with the 49ers was against green bay oh, we the yeah, all you whites back. right yeah, yeah, and yeah. it was it was a bad day it was a nasty field and our you know those white jerseys turned into muddy brown by the end of the game it was cold i just had a bad experience with the white jerseys but you had good ones too so let's focus on the positive ones, right. in miami as well or on in that season leading to miami <laughs> so it goes both ways right well, the, the, yeah. I, I found them, the the white sweats, good because, uh, you know, our whole thing is that we have to kind of uh, find these guys in a crowd. And for me, uh, I'm five foot five, so finding, you know, tracking down Garrett Selleck or other guys that I needed to talk to for these stories was tough. So if they're standing out in these white, uh, these white sweatsuits, that was uh, very good for me to sort of locate who I needed to find. You know what was that's impressive? The, the 49ers, we talked about the different questions and the weird stuff that's posed to you during that opening night media day. There's also a lot of traps that are laid for players, and I witnessed a lot of players avoid traps. For example, uh, I think it was a Chiefs player, actually. This was Jones. It was Chris Jones. It was the, the nose tackle is going to be so important in this game. A uh, reporter comes up to him and says, spell Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. You know, as something as dumb as that, if he can't spell the opposing quarterback's name, that could go viral. I'm not saying I know it some will. journalists that can't spell yeah, Jimmy exactly. Garoppolo. And Chris Jones, he smelt it out right away. He's nope, I'm not touching that. I'm not trying. Yeah. You can spell it for me. That's that's what he told the guy. Yeah. I'm not going anywhere near that. And the, the, you know, there were other ones today 
uh, George Kittle avoided a trap as well. I, I Oh, it was a jerk. Yeah, well, because you have all these international media here. That was kind of cool. Mark Nazacha's from Germany. Right. So he was speaking to a pool of German reporters in German, which was a, which was a really neat thing. But then these German reporters hear from Mark Nazacha, who tells them that he taught George Kittle some German curse words. So the guy <laughs> goes up to George Kittle at his podium yeah. and says, Mark Nazacha said that uh, you know some German curse words now. Say them to the mic. <laughs> and George Kittle said, nope, I'm not touching that. And then nine, the guy, nine. But the guy tries to goad him even further. And he's like, come on, in Germany, we do not care. Like, there are no laws in Germany. You could say it. And G- George was like, nope, you are not getting me to say that. You can go back to Mark, and he'll tell you an actual German with a good accent. And I think the 49ers were well, well prepared yeah. not to fall into any of those traps because you never know now with Google Translate or whatever, uh, something you know kind of crazy could happen if George Kittle does say some bad words sure, in German yeah, and it could become absolutely. a distraction. I mean, uh, yeah. That was one of the surprises. Uh, Mark Nazacha had one of the biggest crowds around him all, all night last night. Um, and, uh, yeah, he did grow up in Germany, and uh, it was mostly a, a, a foreign... Uh, press that was surrounding him, but uh, he had a big crowd. Katie Sowers had a very big crowd around her, uh, and she spoke about uh, you know her pioneering ways as a as a female coach in this league. Um, who who else surprised you, David, as far as just the uh, attention that uh, that guys that you might not think uh, at first blush would get a lot of attention? Yeah, it was crazy because everybody has a crowd around them, even. You know, some of the more back of the roster guys as you're walking around because what 12 guys get podiums and everybody else just mills around. But it's so organically crowded there that if you see a player and he's easy to spot wearing the white sweatpants, you you just walk up to him, even if you're not a media member who's familiar with the team. So, uh, you know, Lake and Tomlinson, who doesn't talk all too much in the 49ers locker room. He had the hat on, so he had the big crowd yeah, around him right. yesterday. That, that probably attracted a lot of cameras for, for people who don't really know the team. Like, that guy, guy's wearing a hat. He looks like he's got personality. Let's and talk to him. It looks like he's good, too. I mean, Lakin Tomlinson is built like a tank. I mean, he's big and, and he's athletic. Yeah, he's and he solid. works out. Yeah. It was really cool seeing uh, Deion Sanders kind of walking up to George Kittle. Uh, and uh, his, his kind of his reaction, this was kind of on the news they showed. Uh, and he put a mic in front of him, and George Kittle grabs a mic, and he looks up, and he goes, "Whoa, you're Deion Sanders!" <laughs> and it was, it was just—I mean, it's—it's it's cool that it's—it's it's super laid back like that. Um, as the week goes on, you know, I, I, it gets—it gets a little more serious, and I think the the players are start understanding that, you know, all the all the bells and whistles and dog and pony shows, it kind of goes away. And then you start focusing on the football game, and and those are the nights you have those curfews, and you get into your playbook. Then you kind of understand how real it gets. That this is this is for uh, a a Super Bowl, a championship, and and then things get really intense. And that's what I remember about the Super Bowl. Well, the German media will probably fly back to Frankfurt or Berlin before the game starts, or maybe one of them will stay to watch Mark Nazacha. But uh, yeah, the, the, I'm pretty sure that the guys who are trying to get George Kittle to curse in German right. won't be credentialed for the game. On Sunday, so as Dennis said, it will get more serious, be more about football. One thing before I forget, we talked about Lincoln Tomlinson. I think that Marcus Thompson is going to have a really nice piece coming out on him, so make sure to keep an eye out on that on the Athletic that's going to be coming out here in the next couple of days. We have a lot of interesting uh, pieces uh, coming out in the Athletic. Actually, in the car ride over, 
uh, Matt and I were talking to Mike Shanahan. We had him on speakerphone uh, because obviously Mike Shanahan is so tied to this game, being the 49ers offensive coordinator when they won the Super Bowl 25 years ago. And the reason I bring that up is because I could segue to something Dennis knows something about. The 49ers are embracing their past, embracing the fact that they won in Miami a quarter century ago. And, uh, you know, Dennis was on that team, and the 49ers had uh, some of the alumni who have won Super Bowls, including Dennis, come back and speak with the team before they left here to Miami. So, Dennis, I was wondering if you could just share some of your experiences of uh, speaking to these 49ers before they took off for this huge Super Bowl. Yeah, it, it was really cool. Uh, John Lynch reached out to the alumni department, uh, and he wanted us to kind of come. The team left. Uh, early Sunday morning, I believe. Uh, and he had, it was about 25 of us over, and he wanted guys who had played in, in all the Super Bowls, uh, represent uh, a different era, uh, come and have breakfast. Uh, and then before the team kind of took off in the team room, he brought us in, introduced us, uh, and we said a few words. And it was kind of cool. It's always cool, first of all, to see guys you've played with that you haven't seen for a while. Dana Stubblefield was there. Daryl Pollock, uh, Bubba Smith, Guy McIntyre, and uh, Eric Wright, Bill Ring, Steve Bono, Harris Barton. It was just a, a bunch of different guys there. And we all just kind of shared, you know, a little story about the Super Bowl. And uh, Jerry spoke the most. Yeah, he got the guys hyped up. You know, Jerry had his Hall of Fame ring on, his his uh, his his all his Super Bowl, his three Super Bowl rings on. And, you know, Eric Wright had his four rings on. And these guys... You know, these, I mean, as a young athlete, you look at a guy who's got four Super Bowl rings. That, that seems so crazy. And then him telling you that, you know, we're proud of you. And, and that was the, the message. You know, we're proud of what, what you have done here. You've accomplished something huge. You have an opportunity to win a championship and join this fraternity uh, of guys wearing Super Bowl rings. And it was kind of cool. It was very short. It wasn't very long. Um, but the guys were, they look excited. And, and, and when they walked out the room, they, they all walked by us and they shook our hands and we said, congratulations. Um, and it was just a good feeling. I mean, it, you know, when, when, when you play in this sport, you know, it, it's so hard to get to this level. And then it's so hard to get to a chance to play for a championship. It, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of exclusive. Uh, and it was really cool to be in that room with those guys and be in the room with guys who have built this foundation. You know, Keena Turner has four Super Bowl rings. I mean, it, it, it's amazing. So it was just kind of cool. And, and I thank Kyle Shanahan and, and John Lynch for giving us that opportunity just to speak to the team. Yeah, that that sounds like a really, really awesome way to send off a, a team to, to the Super Bowl. It, it's a, a great story. I, you know, I talked to Jerry Rice for another piece a few days ago, and he's planning to run at least one route in his full suit during warm-ups. I don't think that surprises Dennis. <laughs> and no, uh, not he's not joking because he did it at the NFC Championship game. He was afraid they weren't going to let him on the field for the Super Bowl. I'm like, are you kidding? You're, you're Jerry Rice. You can walk wherever you want. And the 49ers are playing in the Super Bowl. So he said, "Yeah, I guess I guess you're right. I guess I'll I'll be out on the field." And <laughs> I guess I guess you're right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now the only question is, will Jimmy Garoppolo throw it to him? I think that would be a cool touch before the that Super would really Bowl. tie tie the whole Everything thing together. together. I'm gonna try to ask Jimmy about it uh, tomorrow. But the problem is, everybody's up on a podium if they're a big time player. That's something I don't want a hundred different people to hear because he's not going to give a right. You cannot right ask answer. a question about uh, an exclusive story in these settings, or else everybody else is is onto the story. Yeah, 
So yeah, yeah. And, well, I, I don't I don't know if it's a good idea to have you know to think that Jimmy's going to throw a pass. He may have he may have some other things <laughs> on his mind. Well, he, he's not he's ever about throwing a pass to Jerry Rice before the Super Bowl. Will he throw a pass? Period. After only throwing eight of yeah. them against the the Packers. I mean, th- th- as we shift to talking about the game. In my opinion, that's the biggest question in this game. I know everybody's talking about Mahomes and the 49ers defense. I think that's going to end up playing out to, to a draw. I think Mahomes is going to get his. I think the 49ers defense are going to get theirs. And Kansas City is going to be somewhere in the upper 20s, maybe lower 30s in this game. That's just my gut feeling. And I think that what will determine this game is whether or not the 49ers get into the 30s slash high 30s with an offense that's been really good this year. And the question there comes down to, can the Chiefs slow down the 49ers' run game? And if they can, how much can they slow it down to force the 49ers to pass? Because then we're going to get to see what Jimmy Garoppolo can do on the big stage. And obviously he hasn't disappointed yet this year when he's been asked to deliver. But I think the big question is, how much will he be asked to deliver? Because that will determine the flow of this football game on Sunday. We saw that happen in the second half of the Green Bay game. I mean, Green Bay was literally sticking 11 guys in the box. I mean, they were not going to let the 49ers keep running the ball against them. And uh, that created some very easy throws. And, and Kyle Shanahan, I think, was reluctant to go away from the running game just because they were in control so much. But, uh, you know, that's how... When the, when the 49ers running game is, is, is rolling like it was, that's the only way to stop them, is to really overcommit. And when you overcommit, there should be plenty of answers. Uh, I would think that uh, once you start doing that, uh, George Kittle becomes a, a huge factor, and then those, uh, those wide receivers as well. So, uh, you know, I, I think if, uh, if the Kansas City Chiefs are sticking 10, 11 guys in like the Green Bay Packers were, that's uh, playing right into Kyle Shanahan's hands. Yeah, and you talked about Chris Jones. I mean, he's going to be huge in this game. And I'm sure they're expecting him to make a lot of plays on that line of scrimmage and win that line of scrimmage. So I think the 49ers start off what got them there, running the football. And really the only way, I mean, you can kind of a little bit, kind of neutralize this Kansas City offense is keep them off the field. But still, when they're on the field, they're super dynamic and they can score really fast. So... The run game is going to be important. I think, you know, like any game, uh, the line of scrimmage, who wins the line of scrimmage is going to be the key. If the 49ers can establish that line of scrimmage uh, and not have Chris Jones make too many plays in the backfield, uh, I think they can pound the ball and keep the ball out of Mahomes' Mahomes' hands as much as possible. Um, But, I mean, you have to go with with, what got you there. I mean, if you run the ball, you run the ball, you're, you're milking the clock. Uh, and, it, and, it, and it's in its possession and, and you keep the other team off the field. And, you know, there's there's no mistake in it. This team, Kansas City team, is is good. I mean, they got a great quarterback. They've got some speed at receivers and they got a pretty darn good tight end. So, you know, secondary is going to be tested. Linebacker is going to be tested. And we're going to see what this front four can do. I mean, this is going to be a big game for everyone. Huge game for D Ford, and Matt wrote about him uh, this morning. The article actually came out, but uh, Matt, it, there's so many storylines just surrounding Ford himself yeah. being the former chief, costing them a trip to the Super Bowl with his penalty last year, and, and now being really the fulcrum of the 49ers defense. What were your impressions after talking with D for that story? 
Well, that he's a really uh, complicated guy in, in a good way. I mean, he grew up as a musician and was, and, and, and I knew that. And there was a story earlier this year about him buying a guitar for a young man in Bradenton when they were staying in Florida. And he just surprised this kid who, who he's, he was jamming with with a, a brand new guitar. So I knew that, that he loved music. I didn't realize what a great musician he was to the point where he got scholarship offers to go to UAB, to go to the University of uh, Alabama with a music scholarship. And uh, it was a difficult choice for him because that had been such an important piece of his life. He had to decide between music and football, and, and obviously he went with football with the thought that he could always kind of come back to, to music at the end. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, he was one of those guys you were mentioning earlier, David, uh, the, the gotcha questions. And there were a lot of gotcha-type questions directed to D Ford, I think, from, you know, uh, national media members and Kansas City uh, media members about, uh, you know, different you know, Frank Clark saying that his penalty last year was inexcusable. What's your reaction to that? And I thought his his answer was a good one. He said it was inexcusable, but, uh, you know, it happens from time to time. And so I was sort of next to him just in case something happened where he said something, you know, about the Chiefs or about revenge or anything like that. And he played it very, very cool, very, very calmly. And I think that was sort of a... Uh, symbolic of the of the 49ers as a whole in that very crazy media night when you played against your own team team that you've kind of come in the league and you played a lot of years with it's always kind of fun because you know these are, i mean you know i mean this offensive line you know the offense you know you might know some of the calls some of the line calls so it becomes very good for you to advantage you because you kind of understand the way that offensive line and, and when you see certain backfields uh, what to expect. So that's it. That's an advantage. It's going to be, it's going to be key. Like I said, for this, this defensive line, 49ers defensive line to get pressure on Mahomes. I mean, he, he handles himself well once he's scrambling around, but you're going to have to get some hits on this young kid, uh, and get him a little, I mean, a little rattled. I mean, try to get into his head a little bit. And I think D Ford and, and his time spent with the chiefs could help the 49ers out quite a bit. Well, yeah, that, that was interesting because he talked about uh, his time with Kansas City practicing against Mahomes. This was right after the NFC Championship game. And, you know, the quote that stood out to me, and I think that this is one that all defensive linemen will echo and all people who know, uh, you know, a little bit about the dynamics of football will agree with. He says that every quarterback is a great quarterback, but they don't look so great if that pass rush is getting home. And that's true even with a guy like Patrick Mahomes. He might look better than your typical statue against the pass rush, but he's still human and he can still be affected by it. And obviously it's different with Mahomes because you getting there is not enough because of the crazy arm angles with which he releases the ball, because of the whole Houdini act magician thing that he has going on. You have to be able to, you know, finish with precision as well. So just being in the vicinity or just hitting him is not enough because he could still release a bullet. You also have to make sure your arm angles, your blocking are good, that you're blocking his throwing lanes, that you're blocking his vision, and that you're wrapping up and taking him to the ground properly. And I think that those details 
D Ford learned while practicing against Mahomes. He said every day of practice he was doing these sidearm things, and in training camp he was doing stuff that was catching us off guard. And I think that there is something to be said about that. I think he can impart some knowledge to the 49ers who really struggled in 2018 without their edge rushers yeah. against Patrick Mahomes. I mean, that game was 35-7 to at the end of the first half. And to, to that point, I mean, they played guys like that all season. I mean, Russell Wilson twice, Kyler Murray twice, Lamar Jackson once. It's been a steady climb up until this point. Uh, if they do end up winning this game, I mean, it, you have a very kind of linear uh, storyline to playing Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I thought one of the funny things that Kyle Shanahan said today, and this was in relation to a 28-3 to question that he got, is that nowadays he never feels as if his team has won the game. You know, uh, no matter how uh, big the lead is, uh, he always is uh, is uh, un- unwilling to think that they've won the game. He was actually yelling at at Robert Sala because Sala wanted to put in the uh, the reserves late in the game against Green Bay. He's like, no, 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 it's too early to put in the reserves. We haven't won it yet. And I think that comes back to uh, twenty eight to three. And I think that's a very good lesson to go into this game with because as the Chiefs have shown in these playoffs uh, no lead is too big against Patrick Mahomes they can make up a lot of ground very quickly so even if the 49ers are ahead at halftime even if they're ahead going into the fourth quarter you can rest assured that uh, Kyle Shanahan is not going to be content with that lead until it's 0.00 on that clock. Yeah, and you can ask the Texans about that. Yeah. I think they were up 24 points, and all of a sudden, you know, what, eight touchdowns, seven touchdowns, you know, right off, the, I mean, in, out, touchdown. So, I mean, this is a team that, that can score quick, explosive. I, I think Kyle Shanahan has matured as a play caller. I think, you know, w- what you saw in that Super Bowl the years back won't happen again because – he doesn't get happy with the with his pass. I mean, he wants like we saw in the playoffs. You know, pound the ball, milk the clock, hold on to the ball, keep the other team off the field. So I think he's matured as a play caller, and I think he understands what he's against. He's up against Andy Reid, who is a who is a, again a, a great play caller, and he's got some guys on offense that can score very quickly. So I, I think you'll see not a conservative game, but I think you'll be. You'll see a well-planned-out game plan by Kyle Shanahan. Speaking of Kyle Shanahan's game plan, you look at the Chiefs' run defense, and I think that's one of the big questions of this season as far as trends go because the Chiefs, they're not good in the overall rankings on run defense. In fact, if you break down the splits, it gets even worse as far as the matchup with the 49ers goes. They're number 30 in the league against outside zone, and we know the 49ers are primarily an outside zone team. That being said, the Chiefs have gotten better ever since they got Terrell Suggs, and uh, you know they, they've, I think, shored up that run defense to an extent over the back half of the season. It's really hard to glean anything from their performance against Derrick Henry and apply it to the 49ers because he's a power back and the 49ers are more of a speed outside zone team, and the Chiefs got out to a lead in that game. But the question is, how much better has the Chiefs' run defense gotten over the course of this season because if they haven't gotten a lot better they're going to be in trouble on the defensive end against Kyle Shanahan in a very intricate very successful running game right now yeah I know, I know that was a big question going into the Titans game with with uh, Derrick Henry as you noted 
um, and, and Henry is, is not the same runner that the 49ers are. But the point being that that was a challenge to the Chiefs' defense going into that game, and they felt like they were being um, kind of uh, underplayed in, in, in that uh, facet of that game, and they rose to the occasion. So going back to the, what we were saying earlier, um, you know, every, every question that they're getting this week is probably about, oh, how do you stop Raheem Mostert, how do you stop this this fantastic running game? So I think there's probably a chip building on their shoulder um, that they are sort of dedicating themselves to doing this. And that, that's sort of the question. Is 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 Shanahan and uh, Mike McDaniel, the run game coordinator for the 49ers, kind of foreseeing this? Are they anticipating the Chiefs overplaying that run? And do they have a uh, sort of a... Uh, uh, an answer already sort of built in going into this game for that. That I'm sure they do. I'm sure they've got answers to a lot of different things, but uh, it's a good question. Will it, will it be so overbaked by the time that, that game day comes around that the 49ers will surprise us and do just something totally opposite, maybe come out like they did in, in New Orleans, which was just like throwing right off the bat? It, it won't surprise me, and I'll just lay it out here. My prediction, guys, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to win Super Bowl MVP. That's not a, a massive prediction, given no. that 75% of MVPs are quarterbacks. Talk but. to some people around the country, though. <laughs> they'd be shocked. Like, you know, that there's been the whole narrative of, oh, this guy is not trusted by his coaching yeah, staff. Yeah, where's that narrative coming from? I mean, I don't know where it's coming <laughs> from, but I, you watch any talking head TV show, and at least one of the guys is saying it. Dennis, yeah. who, who do you think is going to be the MVP? Den- well, I, I, th- I think it's going to be a defensive guy. Well, I was going to ask you, would really? you love it if a defensive player was the MVP? I would, I would, I would, I would love it to see a, a Richard Sherman or a yeah. Tukowski Tart, uh, you know, because Sherman, because of what, oh what, 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 yeah, what, what, what Kansas City Chief does, they throw the ball so much. I would love to see a Jimmy Ward, you know, have three interceptions, one for a pick six, something like that, but... Jimmy Garoppolo has been—he's proven he can win a shootout. I mean, we saw that. Uh, we saw that in, in New Orleans. I mean, he's a guy. I think he's capable of, of making those throws. I think he's got the receiving crew to make these throws. But you know, I, I look on the offense, and and you look at this Kansas City defense, and we haven't seen Matthew Breida in quite a while. And 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 I think this is a game for him to kind of show out again. I mean, he's been on the sidelines. I think Raheem Moster—they've got a lot of tape on him. I think they'll be. You know, cautious of him, they'll know where he is every every time he's on the field and if he's getting the ball. But I, I see a Matthew Breida just kind of busting out in this Super Bowl and having a big game. I would love it if you're right and it was a defensive player. I mean, uh, if it was one of those defensive linemen, I think that would be just pure poetry for this team because that's really what the unit was that that drove the 2019 49ers in the end. I mean, everybody's contributed. But that defensive line was the biggest difference between 18 and 19, that and Jimmy Garoppolo's injury. But, um, you know, that, that's, uh, you know, if, if, if you're picking one unit that epitomizes this current 49ers squad, it's that line. So if Eric Armstead won it, if DeForest Buckner won it, wouldn't it be great if it was a defensive tackle? That would be just such a, a throwback victory to old school football. But, uh, you know, Nick Bosa, any of those guys could win it. Uh, it would probably take a fantastic play where the ball is dislodged and they run it into the end zone. But, yeah, hey, with, with, with this group, uh, I think that's, uh, that's plausible. On paper, the matchup is good for them. The Kansas City offensive line is mediocre. And we had it in one of your articles, Matt. The pass block win yeah. rate is number 14 in the NFL, which is right in the middle 
And that means that they've been getting beaten this season. Um, the, the line can get to Mahomes. The question is, can the line beat Mahomes when they get there? And we've already touched on that, and that's what everybody will be talking about for the next few days. They've already talked about it a lot for the past week, and that is the matchup that headlines Super Bowl 54. So, yeah, if the 49ers do win that matchup, the exposure is already on it. People are going to be watching it. Maybe this is the Super Bowl that you see a defensive lineman as the MVP, and that has been a seismically good unit this year. They just pop off the screen when they're fully healthy, playing well. They do have the full front line available, so we'll see just how good they are, you know? Wouldn't it chafe the Kansas City Chiefs to no end if D. Ford was the MVP of this Super Bowl? That would be a story. (laughs) That would be awesome. Either way you go with this, it will be a hell of a story. D. Ford MVP, Jimmy Garoppolo would be a story because of uh, the narrative coming out of the first two playoff games. Richard Sherman, if he has two interceptions and, and wins MVP and, and goes off on a tirade after the game, would uh, you know break the internet. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, uh, you could go so many different ways with this. By the way, before we sign off, I, I do have to say the coolest event so far here for Miami, in my opinion, was the plane landing. I was at the airport hangar. Uh, that was neat. You don't expect it to be cool, but the size of a Boeing 777. As it pulls into a hangar. As it pulls into yeah. a hangar and you're standing by it is like, wow. Yeah, I think, you're I think you've got the contrast there with an actual building and you you realize just how huge that thing is. The building and then the players get out and they look tiny too. They yeah. look like ants. Yeah, if you, if you can make DeForest Buckner look tiny, yeah, that, that <laughs> means that you've got a pretty big plane. Pla- plane is big. How about the pilot with the uh, 49er flag? That was awesome. Out the front. Well, people were telling me that they didn't know those windows opened, but you have to, in case there's a fire or something, you got to be able to open the windows, right? So they must have been able to use... I'm sure they had to get special approval because that's so heavily regulated. Yeah. They had to get special approval to open the window on the tarmac to fly the 49ers flag, but that was quite the visual. Yeah, it was awesome. That's the Super Bowl for you right there. Spectacle. Yeah, it is a spectacle, and that's a good note to finish. We can't wait till you get out here, Dennis. The sooner you come, the better, because we may have some uh, exciting guests uh, on our future podcasts because we are broadcasting this from Radio Row at the Miami Beach Convention Center. It's still empty this early in the week, but once you get to later in the week, then some of the celebrities will start walking through and Uh, We'll keep it a surprise as to who we're going to get on the show for later on, but uh, I can guarantee you that 49ers fans will be happy. So stay tuned to the Here's the Catch podcast for the rest of the week. Thank you to Dennis Brown over in San Francisco. He'll be in Miami soon enough. Thank you to Matt Barrows and thank you to Tanika for all the production work on the show. We'll talk to you guys next time. This is David Lombardi saying so long from the Super Bowl.